What's up guys, it is Austin. I haven't been with you guys for a couple of weeks and so I'm so excited to be back. We're jumping into the first part of John chapter 10, the first half. So even actually right now, before we start anything, if you have not read it, you should go open up your Bible, open it up on your phone, whatever you have, and read uh, John chapter 10. Read the whole thing, but we're gonna be sitting in that first part. Well, I remember uh, back in high school when I was a senior, one of the last classes I had to take, the last English class, which I never really liked English that much, but especially this one, it was uh, AP literature class. And my teacher actually ended up being amazing and, and loved him. But the class, all we would do, uh, it was really just a lot of poetry and plays. And neither of those things are really uh, things that I'm personally passionate about or really love. I know for other people, they totally are, but it's just not my thing. And one of the things that we had to do, we'd read a lot of just like Shakespearean stuff. And if you're in school right now, you, you might be reading some Shakespeare stuff too, right? And, and so one of the plays that we had to read though is a classic is Macbeth. And it's been retold in a lot of different ways. I hardly remember the story of Macbeth, if I'm being honest. But I remember one thing. We had to do a monologue. There's a very famous monologue as a part of Macbeth. Uh, and... We all had to memorize this, every single person in the class, and we had to stand in front of the room and present the monologue. Like, we had to act it out uh, as the monologue. And so I was together with a couple of friends. I graduated high school years ago now. And I was together with a couple of friends. And we actually just kind of all reminisced and remembered. And all of us remembered this monologue. I don't know the rest of the story. I, I don't know why I remember this monologue. It does not affect my day-to-day -day life. But I know it, I'll do part of it. She should have died hereafter. There would have been a time for such a word. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps its petty pace to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays lighted the ways of fools, a dusty death, out, out, brief candle. Then you blow the candle. We all had to do that. There's even more to it though. I could go on, you don't care about that monologue. But my point for this is that my teacher figured this out and he knew it and he's not the first one, but it was, the key was repetition. We repeated this multiple times together as a class, rehearsing it together. <coughs> Excuse me, individually, we had to go through and, and memorize this and practice it on our own. I watched this. Uh, there, there's a couple of film adaptations of Macbeth, and I watched this uh, like dozens of times to just remember it. And so this random monologue that doesn't affect my life really in any way besides the fact that I know it now is burned into my memory and I will never forget it. I really believe that. I will probably never forget it. It has been internalized and it's locked in. So here, here's my point for that, is that repetition and hearing things over and over again, it can become really easy. In that class, I had to memorize it because it was my grade. But in life, and in particular, when we read scripture, when we read a story from the Bible or a part of the Bible and it teaches us something that we may have already heard before, that's particularly going to affect today. If you've been in church for some amount of time, which I know a lot of you have been, I'm going to say some things and Jesus is going to say some things that you have probably heard something similar before or you've heard the general lesson of it before. But here's the thing, and this is what I want this time to be, is I want this to be a time of encouragement and repetition with the goal of memorization and internalization, which being internalized means that it's locked in there, just like Macbeth for me. It's gonna get locked in there so that it's easy, quick, your memory will pull it up when you need it, those kind of things. We will spend our entire lives learning 
and rereading the same verses of scripture. And we do that because we need to be reminded and we can be encouraged by it. So I want this to be a time of encouragement and memorization and internalization, right? So here's what I mean. First things, right off the bat, this, this overall story, uh, the first part of chapter 10, we can basically summarize it by Jesus is saying, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. I'm the only way, right? And we're going to talk about what that means. We've probably heard that kind of terminology or phrasing describing Jesus or from Jesus before that he is a shepherd or this idea of the gate, right? So again, don't zone out. You might've heard that before. Don't zone out thinking I know this. Listen, listen clearly. Jesus is going to start teaching us right now. We're going to start in verse one. Jesus says this. He's, he's speaking to the Pharisees. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow them because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And to a certain degree, that last sentence might apply a little bit to us. We may get part of the bigger meaning, but we don't really understand this, right? So let's start here. Why sheep? Why a sheep pen? Um, well, this is actually, it's going to come up more uh, as, as we go on studying this together. But uh, this is a huge cultural thing, right? Israel back then and that region, sheep were a huge part of their economy, of the way they earned money. It was just a really common thing that families would have sheep. And actually, in this analogy, it talks about a sheep pen and how there's a gatekeeper and he'll call it his sheep. Just picture this, a large fenced in sheep pen and multiple families would actually keep their sheep there, right? So imagine, you know, three, four families, maybe even more, all of their sheep are together. And so the shepherd would come, the gatekeeper would let him in because he knows him. And then the shepherd would say to his sheep, you know, not literally speaking to them, but they would recognize him. They would know who he is and they would follow him out. But the sheep that don't know him, don't know if you know this, sheep are pretty skittish. They're pretty easily scared and frightened. They would actually run away. They wouldn't go follow him because they don't know who he is. So they're not going to go with him, right? So Jesus is using this analogy that for us, we need to explain that and think about that for a second. But immediately, uh, generally people would know what he's talking about. But the point here is that the Pharisees don't understand what he's really talking about. So now let's talk about that, right? What is Jesus really saying? Well, part of this, we can look actually fast forward in John, John 14, 6. You might know this one. It's very famous. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, he is saying that he is the only way. Following him is the only way to receive the gift that he's offering. That's the gift of relationship, the gift of eternal life, salvation. He's saying that I am the only way, right? He's saying a couple of things that I will call them out and they will follow me. He also says one key thing, that anyone who enters the sheep pen by any way except the gate 
is a thief and a robber, right? So there could be people that are trying to trying to blend in, you know, not literally blending in a sheep, but there could be people that have gotten in some other way and are trying to kind of blend in with the crowd. And he's being very specific, saying that no, anyone that tries to get in any other way than by the means by which I have provided, I have explained and am explaining right now, they are a thief and a robber right? They do not belong. They are not supposed to be there, even if they're trying to blend in, right? We fast forward again in this passage, verse 14, he says, I know my sheep and they know me, right? He knows who is who are his followers and his followers know who he is. They recognize his role, his relationship. They get that. And this brings us to the, the real heart of this passage. And this is such an encouragement, man. I'm really, this is the part that I hope is life-giving for you right now. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And there's a lot of weight to that statement. So we're going to talk about that. But I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What does he mean? I am the good shepherd. Well, we know Jesus is described as a shepherd. And again, this analogy of being a shepherd appears several times in scripture. It's important to know context, right? A couple of weeks ago, Curtis was all about the context. Well, here we go. We're going to go back to the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, right? So this is a time that is before Jesus. Israel is in a time where they are looking for their Messiah. They do not have him yet. And they are basically what's happening and what we'll see are uh, not necessarily imposters, although that certainly was true, but there are uh, cheap imitations. You know, there, there's people that are put into roles for temporary purposes and they don't live up to expectations, right? So if we go to Ezekiel 34 verses two through four, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves, bad shepherds. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Right. Okay, so what's happening, right? They are bad shepherds, literally. And Jesus, or excuse me, God here, is not talking about specifically literal shepherds, but people that are shepherding the flock, the people that he had put into place or were in place to be in charge, to be overseeing Israel and her people, right? That's what he's talking about. He's saying that you are not taking care of my people. You have abandoned them. You are fattening yourself. You're only caring about yourself. You're not doing the roles that I've, I've put you in place to do. And he actually brings judgment on them. Jesus, when he says, I am the good shepherd, it is in direct opposition of that, right? It would be a comparison that they would know. He's saying, I am the good shepherd. This is the bad shepherd. I am the good shepherd, right? If we want another example of a good shepherd, this is just a fun one. You probably know David, David and Goliath, right? We can go way back before David was a king, before he fought Goliath. This is actually when he's going before King Saul and trying to argue with him to let him fight Goliath. In 1 Samuel, David says this, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. David was a shepherd. I hope you know that actually. 
When a lion or bear, this gets wild. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. Okay, right away. Very different than the Ezekiel shepherds, right? When a sheep would wander off or get lost, they wouldn't do anything. When a lion or bear went after it, we're talking about David, right? You know the story of David and Goliath, little guy versus big guy. The little guy is saying, yeah, I would go after the beast that went and took our animal, strike it, and take the sheep back. And this is even better. This is just extra for your own entertainment. When it turned on me, David goes on telling the story. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Whew. David, the macho man, right? David was so passionate about taking care of his sheep that he was willing to risk his life to go after the lost sheep, the taken sheep, and he struck the animal, the beast that took it, and if it came back at him, he would kill it because he cared so much to protect his flock that he was willing to risk his life. David is a early example of a good shepherd, and Jesus is saying that I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd, the big one, the ultimate one. He's saying, I am Jesus. I am the Messiah. I am the one that will laid down my life. That's a little bit of foreshadowing, right? In verse 11, he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's hinting, and people aren't quite seeing that his future death on the cross is him living out being the good shepherd because he cares for the sheep, because he wants to protect them, because he wants to care for them. He was willing to pay the ultimate price for us where he died on the cross because we needed him to. He put our lives ultimately our salvation. He put that ahead of his own comfort, right? It, we, we know that. We celebrated Easter not that long ago. That's what we recognize on Good Friday is, is the high price that that cost. That is his role as the good shepherd is that he sought to protect us and do what we could not do as sheep, as being defenseless as we are, right? He did what we could not. And so this is, this is where we can turn to, to applying this, right? And our application is just, let's be encouraged by this. There's a couple of great things. Jesus has so much wisdom that he teaches. Every time when he speaks, he's, he's speaking perfect wisdom. We know that he's Jesus. But in this, there's just so much that we can be encouraged by, right? It, there's also an opportunity here that maybe let's step back, and I hope we always do this when we open God's word, but let's evaluate maybe how we are not actually applying this how what we really believe uh, is shown in our actions. And so how are our actions not aligned with this truth? Well, first, I think for me, one of the big things that, that I'm just so aware of is that uh, I'm, I'm constantly struggling with putting my hope into worse shepherds, truly bad shepherds or just shepherds that aren't as good as Jesus, right? Uh, for example, he talks about in verse 12, uh, the hired hand, right? The hired hand is, is someone's in a temporary role, just kind of watching the sheep for a little bit, right? Essentially, uh, they're, they're not as good. They're not the real shepherd. He says in verse 12, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away, right? So who, who would be a hired hand that maybe we, we put all of our faith and hope in? I mean, honestly, 
for me, uh, one, one of the roles uh, of being in ministry, uh, the title pastor is even a, a shepherding term, right? It, it's talking about you shepherd people is kind of how we describe a pastor. It could be that there are people, uh, it could be leaders, it could be anyone in your life that, that you've looked up to um, in terms of ministry or, or spiritual growth or, or you know, just relationship with God, how they, how they fed you. Putting your hope in that person is actually a way that we're ignoring the fact that Jesus is our ultimate good shepherd. And I'm not saying that you throw that person out. I'm not saying anyone that's in that role. I certainly hope not. I'm, I'm in that role. Curtis is in that role. Your leaders are in that role. Uh, I'm not saying that we throw them out and that we're doing a bad job. But what we can do is sometimes we actually misplace what that role really is, right? That we are not actually the ones that we put our hope in each other at all. We're encouraged by each other. We, we hopefully help build each other up. But our hope is not in those specific relationships or in that person. And if that person fails, or in this case, flees and runs, we're crushed and we're lost. That doesn't mean that we're not saddened by it again. But it means we need to have the right mindset about what those relationships are and the purpose they serve and remembering Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the one that provides for us in every way and in every need. He's the one that our hope is in. And when our hope is in Jesus, we're not rocked, we're not shaken, we're not lost when trials happen or when people fail us, right? Another, another example, a bad shepherd. Uh, man, you're gonna see people uh, now as you grow up. Uh, honestly, I really do believe now more than ever, um, politicians, man. Uh, the president of the United States is the most important person that we all need to get on board and vote for and choose. And I'm not saying those are all bad things again, but putting our hope in a, in a person, in our government, in whoever it may be, a leadership role, saying that that's the person that you need to put all your eggs in that basket, man, that is, that is the bad shepherd. That, that is going, they are going to fail you. I guarantee it. Uh, we're all sinful and flawed, but man, putting your hope in worldly, earthly leaders is going to disappoint you. You're not going to find what you're looking for. You will always be left wanting. You will always be disappointed. Um, that is an example of how we have replaced the good shepherd with an imitation because we can see that person. We, can, we feel like we can interact and challenge, challenge them but Jesus doesn't invite any of that. Jesus invites deep, meaningful relationship where we are under him and we subject ourselves to him. He is the good shepherd. He's the one that will lay down his life for us, has laid down his life for us, will protect us, care for us, love us, grow us. Those people are the ones that are self-serving, right? That, that's what Jesus talks about at the start of this passage and in Ezekiel, right? They are the ones that are self-serving. Uh, lastly, one more way that we can be encouraged. Verse 16, this one it is so rich. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. That's us. We're, we're not of the pen he's talking about. He's talking about Israel at the time. We're the sheep. I'm the sheep that's not of that pen. He must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. This, this is actually a note of encouragement when it comes to sharing the gospel. And this might be something that we might be a little bit out of practice with, uh, with the way that this past year plus has been going with COVID. But we should be encouraged to, first of all, share the gospel. 
right? We recognize that Jesus is the good shepherd for not only for us, but for others. We should want to share that with people. But also, with this, when you go and you share the gospel, you go not on your own power, not on your own authority. You go with Jesus backing you up, with the Holy Spirit at work. That, that is who you're rolling with. And in this case, he says, I have other sheep. They too will listen. That's a promise. They will listen to my voice. And there should be one flock and one shepherd. He is giving us a promise that he will call them. He will work on them. He will change them. That's, that's the good news of the gospel. It's not because of us. It's not because of the work that we do. We go to share the gospel because God is giving us the gift that we get to be a part of it. But it's not a matter of how perfectly and how eloquently and how smooth your, your conversation goes and how clearly you perfectly present the gospel. And if you just say it this perfect way, you'll get them. No, 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 not at all. He's saying, I will call them. You get to be a part of that. You might get to be the mouthpiece of him calling them, but it's Jesus who is calling them. So that is an encouragement because I know it can be so scary. It is nerve-wracking, even for me, to go into a conversation with someone that I know does not believe the gospel. Maybe they've heard it before and rejected it. Maybe there's someone that there's a certain weight that comes with, oh, wow, this person doesn't really know and I need to make sure I get everything perfect. And there is a weight to sharing the gospel. But know and be encouraged by the fact that it is Jesus at work, that it is God at work. It's not us. He will do all of the heavy lifting. We just get to go along for the ride. It gets to be a blessing for us. It's a gift for us. That's, that's what it is. That's the encouragement there. Right. There's more in this passage. There's so much. These are just a couple things. I, I hope. Sit on these. Go back. Read it again. Look for what encourages you. And this is actually what I want to ask you. This is, this is what I want you to apply right now is what is the most encouraging thing to you in this passage? Maybe it's more than one. That's fine. I love it. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a note card, piece of paper, write it down on a note on your phone. I don't care. Whatever is going to be the thing that you can put somewhere that you will see. Set it as an alarm, tape it up on your mirror, put it on your bed, I don't care, whatever will work. But take a note card or something and write down the verse, write down actually the words of the verse that are encouraging to you. And then also write down, separate from that, in your own words, what is the truth of that that is encouraging? Maybe it's a specific situation. So I can remember in this that this is what will encourage me. Maybe it's just, I just need to remember uh, that Jesus as my shepherd laid down his life for me. That's a fantastic thing to take away. If that's something that you want to see over and over again, this is like Macbeth, except the difference between this and Macbeth, Macbeth does not benefit my life in any way. But if I deeply internalize the fact that Jesus is the good shepherd, that he laid down his life for me, that he will go before me, that he, he seeks us out when we're lost, he goes and calls more people. If those are the things that I have internalized and, and I have that right off the top of my head, that does matter. That does change your life. That will make your relationship with him deeper and richer, stronger, and your ability to share with others better. So that's, that's what I'm asking you to do. If you want to do that, go ahead, jot it down, write it down, put it somewhere that you'll see it, and work on memorizing and internalizing that so that you can know in whatever situation may come up, you have truth from scripture that, that will encourage you. All right. Thanks, guys. Love y'all. Uh, enjoy this time in John together. Have a great week and hopefully see you soon.